Our scripture today comes from Isaiah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Usa, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire in your very presence. Foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is your multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has acquired of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct opposition. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of our Lord. Well, last week we began a series, and our series last week, uh, uh, or series that we are in, is called Toxic. The series is dealing with sin. And I shared with you last week uh, of my experience of being in uh, school and 
in college and taking biology and having to dissect a little fetal pig, having no clue that that little tiny pig had so many parts until finally uh, we had our final exam and went through lab and identified all those parts. And sin is very much like that. And so today we are looking at sin as rebellion. Sin as rebellion. When you hear the word rebel, uh, perhaps what comes to your mind is maybe a Junie B. Jones character. If you read those books uh, as a kiddo, uh, there are quite a few rebels in the Junie B. Jones series. Uh, So maybe you think of a rebellious child. Uh, The term in scripture is almost always or often connected with the imagery of a king and the subjects in the kingdom who rebel. And so if you are a history buff, perhaps you think of, uh, of the great coups that have taken place, some necessarily so, but others uh, unnecessarily so, and, and you think of rebels, and that is the way to think. A rebel is, uh, the, the sin is rebellion, is an ongoing attitude uh, of defiance against God that leads to action. An ongoing attitude of defiance against God that leads to action. We'll see sin as other things, but this one is a big picture of a rebellious nation that we see God himself through Isaiah address today. Uh, He begins uh, by saying Isaiah is addressing Jerusalem, that capital city of Judah, And he calls in as witnesses the heavens and the earth. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. So God is speaking and he's saying, I need some witnesses as I call out my people. It's as if he's in a court of law. And then this is what he says. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Uh, This is the picture of a rebellious child. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. So much so, verse 3, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. In Israel's understanding of animals, oxen and donkeys were the basis of animals. And here God says, these base animals, the, the, the ox knows its owner. Uh, the donkey knows where to go lay its head down at night. It knows where its master's crib is. But my people don't even know where home is. My children, I am a good, good father, right? My children don't even know me as their father anymore. Uh, God the Father laments, and then he describes his own children. Notice how he describes them. Imagine this, if you're listening in, there are four nouns and four adjectives. He describes them as nation and people. That would be God speaking as king. He describes them then as children, God speaking as father. Sinful nation a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. He's saying, my 
people, my children, are sinful. They're full of iniquity. They're, they're evildoers. They deal in corruption. Uh, this is not the kid I raised, is what God is saying as father. These are not the people I brought up, is what he is saying as king. So the question then, and we're going to look at four characteristics of rebellion. uh, And the question is, how did they get there? And the first characteristic is the progression of rebellion. You see, the children didn't get there overnight. And as we look at these characteristics, you will discover perhaps yourself in one of the early stages. As a matter of fact, unless somebody dragged you here today, you're probably not in the late stages of rebelling against God. Most people who are in the late stages don't show up for church on a Sunday morning. Most of those people are running from God somewhere, but perhaps you're here and you're in a late stage. You see, uh, God is speaking as a daddy. He's speaking as a father. And so if rebellion has happened, it's happened over time. Children always rebel over time. It's the death of love that's taken place. In one of my marriage resources that I use uh, when I'm counseling couples, we look at the five stages of the death of love in a marriage. Love can die in a marriage. And the first stage seems so harmless. It's disillusionment, uh, unmet expectations. Uh, He thought she would be this way. She thought he would be that way. Uh, He or she does not turn out as uh, was thought disillusionment stage one. Stage two is hurt. The, The party takes it personally. The husband is personally offended or the wife. Stage three is anger. Anger results then as a result of the hurt. Stage four is ambivalence. Ambivalence is he wants to work on it, she doesn't. When she wants to work on it, he doesn't. They can't seem to get their act together, and so they are ambivalent. And then the fifth stage is apathy. Apathy is I don't care anymore. I don't care if you live. I don't care if you die. I I just don't care. And it's hard to imagine that a couple saying their I do's and their I will's end up at the death of love, but it happens. And it's hard to imagine that if you look back on the night or day that you came to Christ, that you would be where you are today, but you are. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? Uh, Rebellion is progressive in nature. What is it? Here we see it. Verse 4, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Here is the progression of rebellion. They forsook. Do you know what the word forsake means? It just means to leave. It just means to leave God. It's evidenced usually in disciplines. You quit reading the Bible. You quit praying. You stop going to your life group. You uh, stop attending worship as regularly as you once did. They forsook the Lord. This is the early stage of rebellion. It doesn't look rebellious then. You would never know rebellion is in the works. It seems benign. It seems not so bad. Then, if that goes unchecked, they despised. 
So once you're away and you are engaging in your own sin, uh, all of a sudden the God of standards becomes not so popular or liked by you. Your daddy, your father, you no longer are enthralled with. You begin to despise him for the truth telling that he has done in your life. And, and you, you act in a way as if you were never his child. But that's not the end. They are utterly estranged. The the rebel views God as a total stranger. Like, who is this God anyway? Uh, Peter says in 2 Peter 2.20, Speaking to believers, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. So they've come to Christ, they have gotten out of sin. If they go back into sin, the last state has become worse for them than the first. This is a a stark reminder of the grace of God uh, and of the warning of God not to go back into sin we once indulged in. It's the progression of rebellion that leads to the devastation of rebellion. Look at this description. Why will you still be struck down? Meaning, after I've called you out, God is saying, why, why do you keep on doing what you're doing? Why, you've been disciplined. You've been struck down already. Do you, do you want to be struck down again? Why will you continue to rebel Look at this. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. The key word in there is whole. Your your thinking is completely off. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. Your heart is completely diseased. But not just your head and not just your heart. Look at this. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. This is a body that is disease-ridden because the head is sick and the heart is sick. The body is sick and there are oozing sores. This is the ultimate representation of The devastation of rebellion against God. One commentator wrote in its graphic, The festering pus has been allowed to remain in the wounds and has not been pressed out to cleanse the wound and to free it of impurities. Sin requires a cleaning out of the wounds that it has created, doesn't it? Sometimes that will happen in your life group. Sometimes it may take a counselor. But it requires a cleaning out. This is metaphorical. What does it really look like? Verses 7, 8, and 9. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion... That's Jerusalem. Is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. 
Jerusalem, that great capital that David in his second year as king stormed in and overtook that mountain and set up Jerusalem as the capital city and built the walls and and the gates of the city he installed and uh, built uh, the the great uh, palace that had been built by now and the great temple that had been built there uh, that Solomon built has become like a booth in a vineyard. What is a booth in a vineyard? In a vineyard, uh, booths were the little lean-tos that the farmhands would go into to escape the heat of the sun in the middle of the day. The devastation of rebellion is that it rips down the walls. It, it, it destroys the temple. It, it it, de- it destroys the palace. It rids you of all that you uh, call attention to of glorious and great in your life. And you're left like a lean-to in the middle of a field. And you're hardly seen or noticed. And no one looks on you and glories in God. That's the devastation of rebellion. It's devastating If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and like Gomorrah, meaning completely burned up, devastated, destroyed, nothing, no one left except those who would escape out. I I try to wonder how to illustrate this. And, uh, And this is what came to mind. And perhaps you've seen these pictures. Nobody who goes on meth knows that that will lead to that, do they? Uh, They have no clue, I'm not sure how many are even up here, that that will lead, meth will lead her from looking like that. These are real pictures from uh, a news channel, I think in uh, New York. Look at her. It's the devastation of rebellion. Your eyes are blinded. You do not see the end from the beginning. But the end is tragic. It's progressive. It's devastating. But let's look at the hypocrisy of rebellion. Verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. He ordered them to sacrifice. Now he tells them to quit. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. He has up until now. Uh, He doesn't anymore. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. What is he saying? He's saying sin and worship do not mix. I'm tired of it, God is saying. I can't take it anymore. I can't take your engaging in gross, unrepentant sin. All right, so for those of you, and some of you have a super sensitive conscience, and so you had a bad thought on the way in this morning, and you're feeling guilty now. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those who sin unchecked, 
who live on in unrepentant, unforgiven sin and sin on Tuesday and sing on Sunday and you do not care. God shows you things and you do not change. You will not. You have dug in your heels. You will live your life the way you choose to live your life. And you will lift up your hands on a Sunday morning and sing your songs. And you expect God somehow to receive that offering up to him. And what does he say? I'm tired of that. I'm tired of it. It is the hypocrisy of rebellion. He continues, when you spread out your hands or before that, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. It's a strong word. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. Imagine making the creator of the universe weary of you. Weary of you. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. God is saying, I'm going to act like an idol here. Idols can't see. Idols can't listen. You prefer idols over me? Then I'll act like an idol when you call out to me. You will not hear from me, nor will I see you when you worship. Your hands are full of blood. Blood. What blood? Most likely the unfair treatment of their neighbors. Most likely, instead of pleading the cause of the widow, they capitalized on the condition of the widow. Instead of feeding the impoverished child, they abused the impoverished child. You say, how do you know? We'll see in a moment. It is the hypocrisy of rebellion. If we have ever seen it nationally, it's now. As a nation, we are in full-out rebellion against God, no doubt. But there is a danger to see it nationally and miss it personally. To see it in someone else and miss it in yourself. Such a danger to gauge your sin as not so bad as someone else's, isn't it? At least I don't, and you fill in the blank, right? The hypocrisy of rebellion. Is there a remedy? That's how God ends this conversation. The remedy is both a process and a person. It is something and someone. And if you're taking notes, this would be the process. If you've already been through life group this morning, you've discussed this. um, And I've shared it with you before, but it bears repeating now. Uh, I borrow this. From Robert McGee's work, Search for Freedom. And McGee says, and we should be quite familiar with this. He wrote this before the technological surge of cameras and iPhones. But do you know how you take a picture and you end up with somebody photobombing it? So what do you do? You crop them out, right? 
You just crop in and you get rid of. And McGee says we have to learn to do that with sin in our lives. And so it's an acronym, I guess that's the word, C-R-O-P. Confession is first. You confess. To confess means to agree with God that your sin is sin. To agree with God that your sin is sin. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. The only people who want to wash themselves are those who realize they're dirty. Right? Those are the only people, Wendy and I experienced a couple years ago, that that Trent entered a period of time where he forgot he was dirty. (laughs) And we had to remind him, Trent, take a bath. Right? And there comes a time when uh, you can enter the adolescence of Christian life, right? And you forget you're dirty. Um, R is to repent, turn from your sin. Notice what is said in the text here. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Repentance is the negative side. Of getting things right with God. It's, it's what you don't do anymore. And I must say to you, if you stop there, you will have incomplete life change. All right? Most of us, all our lives have said, okay, I confess, I repent, I'm good. No. Why? Because if you only stop at what you shouldn't do, and you do not go with the O, which is obedience which is what you do instead of what you were doing, right? If you don't replace the sin with the right thing, if the right thing doesn't take the the space that the sin once occupied, guess what you'll do very easily? Go back to the wrong thing. This is critically important. Obedience. I love what it says here. Learn to do good. Uh, I love the grace in that word, learn. Do you know what it means? It can be learned. Are you listening? Obedience can be learned. Does obedience come natural to any of us, church? No. Oh, that it would, right? If obedience came natural, how many times would you tell your kids to do something? Once. How many times do you tell them to do something? We can't say the number. It's just unreal. The same thing. Because obedience is learned. It is learned. And so learn, he says, to do good. Uh, Seek justice. Correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. When you're truly repentant, all of a sudden the the bloody hands that were uh, oppressing the widows become the clean hands that lift up the widows, right? The most hardened of sinners' heart is touched by another sinner who needs Christ when you're obedient. It's called a changed life. And then P is praise. Then you can truly worship. And then here's that famed verse that perhaps you've never heard in the context. Come now. Come now. I want to focus on the first two words. Come. Don't miss this. Sit up straight. Be with me here. Who is God saying? 
to to come to him. Let me remind you. Sinful nation, come now. A people laden with iniquity, come now. Offspring of evildoers, come. Children who deal corruptly, come. Let me focus on the second word. What is it, church? Now. Say it loud. Now. Not tomorrow. Not five minutes from now. Not not a year. Certainly not a year from now. Your life will be devastated. Come now. You who sit here in whatever stage of rebellion you're in, I plead with you, come now. In the New Testament, the counterpart to this is today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Don't delay. Whatever sin God is calling out in your life, God, this awesome Father who loves you even though you're sinful and rebellious and laden with iniquity says, come now. Now, today, let us reason together, says the Lord. Let's let's sit down and talk. Let's talk. This is a daddy calling up his kid who's wandered away and saying, come home, come home. He knows the condition of his child, but he loves her. He loves him anyway. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. And could I paint you a picture, though your sins are like scarlet, bloody hands? They shall be white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If, here's the sermon title, eat or be eaten, if you are willing and obedient. You shall eat the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. In this life... You will either eat the good of the land or you will be eaten by the sword. There's no middle road. Come now. That's the process. What about the person? Look back at verse 9. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and like Gomorrah. This is the first mention by Isaiah, and he'll return to it again and again of the remnant. The remnant. What is the remnant? It is the group of people who still follow God even though everybody around them didn't. It's the remnant. It's the group of people who did what God told them to do. And Isaiah says, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. For it was through that remnant in the fullness of time that God purposed to bring the Redeemer into the world. Newsflash, you cannot save yourself. You cannot clean up yourself. If there is no remnant, 
there is no redeemer. If there is no redeemer, there is no redemption. William Cooper was a poet and a hymn writer, born in 1731. His dad a chaplain. His mom died when he was only six. Somehow the mix of all of this would bring into his existence depression and pain. They sent him off to boarding school. He went on to uh, study to be an attorney. And in that day, panic attacks were not understood by anyone at all. And when he became eligible, passed the bar, went for his interview, he had a panic attack. And they denied him the job. It thrust him into deep, deep depression. But it was during that time he was staying with a couple that a man by the name of John Newton reached out to him. John Newton, that famed, not then famed, but now famed slave trader turned follower of Christ who joined William Wilberforce in his effort to end slavery in Britain. John Newton, who uh, came to Christ in such a way as to be able to write Amazing Grace. John Newton reached out to William Cooper and said, Would you move out to the country to my little church? And he did. And the two developed a friendship. And they began. They began to write hymns together. It was during this deep depression that William Cooper sat down and penned these words. There is a fountain filled with blood. If you're new this morning, that may be shocking to you, but if you're not, it isn't. Why? You've sung the words too too often. But let me paint a picture for you. What if you were to be driving into Marion and by the community center and look down at the splash pad and see children running through a fountain that blood is flowing out of? You would pull your car over and just regurgitate right there. What if you're driving through Old Fort and the arrowhead that has those little fountains? uh, Rather than water, it's blood that's spewing up. You would be repulsed. And so when Cooper, in the midst of his depression, wrote, There is a fountain filled with blood, there was outrage. Surely you can't say such such a reckless thing. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood. Lose what, church? Say it. Lose what? How many? All their guilty saints. Next verse goes like this. The dying thief of all people, right? Uh, This thief, what did he have going for him? You see, if there's not a remnant, there's never a redeemer. And if there's never a redeemer, the dying thief will never rejoice to see that fountain in his day. Amen? He rejoiced to see that fountain flowing down the body of Christ on the cross. And there may I, though vile as he, wash how much church? All my sins away. Let's go to the next verse. Dear dying lamb, we'll talk to him, right? 
thy precious blood shall never lose its power. Never till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Cooper was writing about you. Uh, be saved to sin no more. Look at this. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flow and wounds supply. Look at this. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. There's a process, but the process won't work if there's not a person. And the person's name is Christ. And Christ died on the cross for your sins, however bad they may be. He died for you. And this is then. One day in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. When this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. William Cooper in his depressed state saw Christ whose blood covered his own vileness and his sins. Just this week I received a text from Hannah. She's in Atlanta. She had a crazy shooting experience in underground Atlanta. Had to run out of there. This was the next day. She said, pray. But when we get those texts, we're like, what the heck for? That's all it said. I immediately bowed my head at my desk and I began to pray. She texted it to, to Wendy and she texted it to Libby. All of us in a group, we prayed. About 15 minutes later, we get this picture right here. She said, I was walking down the street and I saw her and the Lord said, sit down with her. She said, so I sat down by her and she looked at me and said, could you give me some money? And Hannah said, I'm sorry. I have no money to give you. And the woman looked at Hannah and she said, you're not a businesswoman, I can tell, but you are so happy. Could you tell me why? And Hannah sat by Rhonda and on the streets of Atlanta led Rhonda to that fountain filled with blood. And Rhonda prayed and gave her life to Christ. The fountain flows through the streets of Atlanta. We got a crew getting ready to head out into the heat of this day. The fountain flows through the communities of McDowell County. It flows to your heart if you will let it. Let's stand and let's sing this. And if you need to know Christ, just come. Let's sing.
and all.